there was a big number of people that struggled with opiate addiction. And it was everybody. It was it did not discriminate. So it was business professionals, teachers, moms, dads, kids. It was just kind of baffling to see that it really didn't matter who you were. It wasn't like you, you this idea that you have of a drug addict on the street is kind of, I think, what people think of. And it, it was not that. It was like someone you would look at and go, oh, you know, he looks like he's put together well. And then you find out he's been hooked on heroin for the last few years and he's ready to get clean. This episode of Fuerza, Inside the Mind of the Ridden Athlete, is made possible by our title sponsor, Team Adair Cross Country Mortgage. With the Affinity Program, Hopper Riders and their family can save up to $2,200 when financing your new home or existing home. With your dedicated loan officer, Team Adair provides personal and professional service. Myself, me, my family, my wife, we financed our home in the summer of 2020 in the midst of COVID. And it was by far, by far the best experience we've ever had working with a lender. As a direct lender, their communication was prompt and professional, and we closed quickly. We have saved over $400 a month by financing. And let me tell you, this has really helped our family and our home business during these difficult times. For information and to get started, go to crosscountrymortgage.com slash affinity slash grasshopper or Click on the link on Grasshopper webpage, grasshopperventureseries.com. Our guests today, Griffin and Colin Easter, are founding members of the Opacure Foundation. Colin and I began talking about this podcast last fall when he was going to be coming out to USAL, which wasn't able to materialize. And when I looked up what their foundation was about, um, right away I jumped to the chance to have a discussion with them. The goal of this podcast, Inside the Mind of the Ridden Athlete, is to explore, you know, the beauty and art of cycling, but at the same time, the challenges and some of the darker sides of our psychology that leads us to be fantastic athletes. At the same time, we know that many of us, myself included, if we removed this um, routine, this passion, this uh, sport that allows us to go into these dark places, um, the imbalance that could arise with, let's say, our addiction to dopamines in a natural sense could lead us down a different path. Um, most, if not all of us, know people who have struggled with opioid addiction. A little bit about their foundation. Opicure is committed to utilizing the bicycle as a tool to assist those struggling with opioid addiction and their process in recovery. Right, it's committed to bringing awareness to opiate abuse, redefining the practices for addiction recovery, and devoting resources to affect positive change, specifically in the Utah community out of Salt Lake City and beyond. It's a partnership with the cycling community that we can make a difference. The increase in deaths of opioids from 2017 to 2019 was 30%, 70,000 deaths. 40% of the deaths from prescription opioids. It's been in the news. People are talking about this pandemic that we have of opioid addiction. And it's uh, encouraging to see these two brothers working on something that is a replacement of something that we find so meaningful in our lives, which is cycling. So stay tuned as we uh, discuss and delve into what is their personal connection 
to this pandemic, why it is they chose to devote their life and purpose to this, how it connects to their cycling experience, and what their great plans are for making a difference in the Utah community. Stay tuned for our next episode, Fuerza, Inside the Mind of the Ridden Athlete. So, Colin Griffin, welcome to another episode of Fuerza Inside the Mind of the Ridden Athlete. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, it's been too long in the coming. I know e Griffin and I, we've been emailing back and forth for quite a while to get you to come out. Uh, I did have to Google you a little bit. Uh, I know at least one or both of you have a national championship somewhere along the road in collegiate. Is that one or both of you guys? Tell me. Uh, yeah, it's both of us. <laughs> So a long history of, of, of cycling. And um, and I do recall you guys coming out with the Luminate team uh, to Occidental when the Grasshoppers were there. And if I recall correctly, it was perfect weather. In other words, horrible weather. We've never canceled a hopper for weather. Uh, we've had to reroute for flooding. Uh, but I don't know. What, do, what are your what are your memories? Uh I, I personally remember um, afterwards being still the, still to this day the coldest I've ever been um, after a bike race. I was like I had like like purple hands, like blue lips. I was like the coldest I'd ever been. But at the same time, um, I it was like such an like an awesome time and it's such a fun race and adventure um to say the least but it was uh it was like both mine and Cullen's first time ever doing an alternative adventure kind of bike ride bike race um and we came with team illuminate and uh there were some people that you know we don't remember exactly who but there were some people that maybe weren't as maybe happy or they're more road focused but I had a blast I I, I remember just you know tucking in there was like one point where you could go onto the gravel you could go on the road and i was like man i wonder what the gravel section is like but we stayed on the road but uh but yeah i don't know what about you Cole? yeah i i just remember showing up and it being really over like misty cold huge green trees all around and walking down this road to this school or like it looked like a building everyone was running in to take shelter into where the registration was uh, off to my peripheral, I see like Ted King emerge from a van and I'm like, you know, what is this thing? Like, you know, that like, I don't, I've never been at a race where Ted King's at. And so then all this, like my excitement's building. And then I remember getting inside and seeing the coolest hat I've ever seen oh. in my life, uh, with the grasshopper on there. It looked like the California state flag logo. I'll send you, I'll send you new ones. I've got new oh, ones. My. Oh. <laughs> I remember that was like, I don't really buy anything for like when it's rare that you like want to go, Oh, I want to buy something from, you know, you go to an event, you always find a way to talk yourself out of it. And I remember just being like, uh, Nope, going to buy that. And, <laughs> and so, and then over the years that. that has exchanged hands. Like I've, I've like taken it from him and worn it for like year, like a year. And then it gives back wow. to Cullen and then it like keeps swapping. Yeah. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> well, it's great to hear those stories. And for me of the years, you know, we've in and out of, you know, in and out of dad fitness and good fitness, it kind of comes and goes, but to see folks like yourself, you know, come on out and to, and to build a shred and enjoy the competition, especially, you know, I think at that end, at that time, I think, you know, we were still, things were on internet and, and signing in online, but for so long, like you, you had to like tell someone what it was about and convince them to come. So it's good that you kind of got initiated as opposed to like reading it in Velo News and all this stuff and then showing up with expectations. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that sounds rad. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll have you out again here on the West Coast, West Coast again. So I know you guys are based out of Utah and we're having you on the program. Uh, I know Griffin, when he signed up for USAW and I saw that it was out of the Opicure, um Foundation, I was, I was very curious. Um, this is, you know, myself, like, Probably most every listener in some way, uh, substance abuse has been either part of our lives or our family's lives. So I was like, I wanted to learn more, start reading about it. And I was like, wow, this is great. Connecting cycling, dealing with uh, with uh, the opioid uh, epidemic. And so if you guys could tell us a little bit, uh, you know, what's it about and, and, and how this came to be and connecting uh, with your passion for cycling. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think. Like you said, it's very it's very common when you when you bring this up, bring this topic up of you know addiction or substance use disorder, that someone always knows somebody that's that's struggled with this problem before, or they it, or it's within their family, or they struggled with it. And um, I think you know never I never would have thought that now as I'm kind of taking this on and, and Griffin and myself are taking this on the conversations and the connections we've made. It's, it's just always so surprising. Like even today I was out on a bike ride and we stopped and we were chatting with some guy that was on the side of the road and, and he was asking about our jerseys and it was just like, Oh, well, you know, I know someone that's, that's struggled and it's just like this common theme. And so it's encouraging. It's discouraging to hear that so many people know, someone that's struggled or has has that in their history but it's also encouraging for us because we know there's a lot of work to be done to take this on and so um yeah i think you know this all got started about two years ago uh you know i'm a registered nurse uh working at the university of utah hospital um and my journey as a nurse started uh about two years ago well three years ago and, uh, it was right when Griffin and I, we both were racing together. Um, and the entire time that I was racing, uh, professionally, I was going to nursing school. And so as soon as I finished nursing school, I knew I wanted to live in Utah. We had done some races there and I loved the area and I naturally just beeline to the university of Utah health and ended up working on the adult detox unit without really any knowledge of the world of detox. And so for those that are listening that don't know what, what the detox unit or an acute detox unit is, it's uh, an acute inpatient facility that typically we had about, I think it was like 20 rooms. Um, and there's a nursing staff, there's uh, physicians. And essentially, if you're struggling with an addiction, so whether it be alcohol, drugs, um, you can come to us we take you in, we use medication assisted treatment. So we're weaning you off of whatever substance you may be using. And then we're getting you prepared to then go to say a treatment facility 
Or if you're not that bad, you can do like on your own where you check in with us. And so um, there's a couple different options. Once we get you stable, then you can kind of go out to those treatment facilities. Um, and so I was, I learned a lot right when I started off working there. And I, what I found was that there was a lot of people that were struggling with opiate addiction as well as alcohol and all the other drugs, but there was a big number of people that struggled with opiate addiction and there it was everybody. It was, it did not discriminate. So it was business professionals, teachers, moms, dads, kids. It was just kind of baffling to see that it really didn't matter who you were. It wasn't like you, you, this idea that you have of a drug addict on the street is kind of, I think what people think of. And it, it was not that it was like someone you would look at and go, Oh, he's got all, you know, he looks like he's put together well. And then you find out he's been hooked on heroin for the last few years and he's ready to get clean. And so right like about midway through working on the detox unit, uh, our dad, his brother said that, you know, his son was, uh, Matt, who is our cousin was struggling with a heroin addiction and so it was this weird turn of events where, you know, we were working, I'm immersed into it in my like, you know, profession, but then I'm hearing about how, just how hard it is for someone that we're close with. And so you, you just see these different versions of it. Cause as a nurse, you're seeing it one way and then, then you're hearing about it from family and you just realize just how much it rocks those families and the ripple effect that it has on everybody. Um, and so it just got worse and worse for Matt. And eventually, you know, it was just that kind of thing where, you know, my dad's brother was telling my dad, like, we're just like, you know, it's almost like we're at this point, like, we're not sure when we're going to get that call that something bad has happened. And then unfortunately, you hear that's a very common thing that you hear. And, you know, they ended up getting that call. And, you know, Matt had passed away. He there was a bad batch that went out to that community. Um with, I think they were saying it was probably laced with that fentanyl, um, which we've seen now as just such a uh, very intense opiate that they mix with the heroin and, and he overdosed. And so, uh, you know, it, that was a big, that rocked, you know, Griffin and myself. And I remember we, we were out to dinner one night and we were just saying like, this, this sucks. Like, why does this story seem to happen and what can we do? Like, what could we do to maybe change that story or at least give somebody uh, like an option to do something to help. And so, you know, coming from a cycling background, we naturally were like, okay, it's gotta be the bike. The bike is awesome. It's, it has done so many wonders for us. It's connected us with so many different people and cultures and, and we, I was confident. I knew for a fact, I was like, okay, I know the bike can work if we do it the right way. And so that was kind of when OP Cure was born. Um, yeah, we just, we wanted to figure out a way to incorporate the bike into their treatment to help them. So. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, you doing group rides before in that community. And it's like, I was listening to a podcast where a speaker was using it as reference groups. I wouldn't want to think about what I do for my passion and life as my reference group, but my cycling friends is that. It's a place where I belong and I'm accepted, where things make sense, right? And I think, especially now after COVID, I mean, yeah, we appreciate that, but I think we kind of took it for granted how important that is. 
And the fact that you're working to create that, I think, is a, is a very valuable thing. Tell me about how many people do you get to come? Who's coming? Um, I imagine it got interrupted by COVID. I, I, I mean, it, looking at the timeline of things, uh, tell yeah. us about the, the, ride, the group ride program. Yeah, so we kind of have a couple of different pillars that we were planning on utilizing to approach this problem. And one was that community ride. And so the community ride, we had this vision that it was going to be a place where anyone could join, uh, whether you struggled personally, if you knew someone that was struggling, if you had lost somebody, if you had a, you know knew someone who had lost someone, if you just wanted to be there to support that's kind of what we had envisioned for this community ride. Uh, we got started with it and we were launching those rides outside of the hospital parking lot. We would show up with a table, we'd have coffee, we'd have snacks, and we would always huddle up at the beginning and kind of provide some piece of uh, opioid education, so to speak, and have them take that one thing into their week and talk about it with their groups. And so we we were we lucked out and in the beginning we were getting about like i don't know what do you think griff like 12 to 18 yeah it was so exciting because we didn't expect anybody to show up we were we were like well let's see cuz we had been putting posters up like like you know like you did in high school putting poster up for an event and we were putting posters up in Cullen was and and i was actually working at the same hospital too as a psych tech and so we were putting all the posters up in the in the break rooms in the, you know, in the doctor's lounge. And we were like, well, let's see what happens. And then the first time we had it, it was like, I think it was the most people we got was the first time we had it. So it was yeah. encouraging and uh, like provided like uh, proof that, all right, so we are, we are on to something. Yeah. So it was, it was really a great way to bring people together. It was fun to see the same faces showing up to it. And and when someone didn't show up, it was kind of interesting. Everybody would be like, where's so-and-so? And like, <laughs> you realize quickly, like it matters going to these things. Like people notice when you're not there. And so it's like that accountability too. You know, you're like, oh, I can't miss that, that ride. And so uh, I, I really liked that part of it. And we got lucky and we got lined up with, uh, one of the local news agency uh, agency people that did the sports, her name was Andrea Urban, and she was like loved what we were doing, and she would just show up and like do little film segments of us like leaving the parking lot, and and she would talk about what we were doing, and and so it was just cool to see uh, that it was kind of impactful, and it was making you know getting people talking about it, and and so yeah, you're right, COVID did kind of put a hindrance on that, and we we had to take a pause. And so we're, we're still trying to figure out like the best way to start those back up again. And, uh, and we're super excited to get those rolling because they were fun. That's great. I mean, the, the number, the numbers are astonishing and reading a little bit about it. I, you know, I, I did, uh, besides reading yours was, was doing some investigating and with the synthetic, with the opioids, that's one, one of the factors. And then also the, the, the high rate of, of prescribing them starting in the mid 2000s, you know, if it only takes people three days or fewer to become addicted to that. And I have a friend whose family member, it was an injury and became addicted and it's become life altering. Once one is an addict, you don't unaddict. like that's one is an addict forever, every day. Like that's, that's part of 
of life. You know, I think in 2000, the numbers I, I saw was set, we had 17,000 deaths uh, from opioid overdose. And in 2019, there were 70, one site said 50, one said 70,000. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a national crisis as it, as it has rightly, rightly been called. Um, I'm curious for you in working with detox and then prescribing something that we know that gives us such pleasure as cycling and community, when you have something that's giving such a strong endorphin buzz predictably, and then you're looking to replace substitute with something more natural, community connection, cycling, love relationships. How, how does that play out in, in an individual to try and get the pleasure from something that's, that's maybe a lower frequency, but longer lasting and more authentic? What, I, yeah, I think that that's always been something we've really held on to that, you know, this addictive personality that you might have been having with, you know, a substance use disorder, that it translates very well to something like uh, an endurance sport like cycling. I think that, um, you know, what I always will notice that if when I'm riding every single day, if I don't ride, a day, I feel off. I feel weird. I feel like something's not right for that, that day. And so I think that getting this activity and putting it in the place of say, you know, instead of going out and using it, you go out for a ride instead and you go ride with a friend. I think that the joy that you're, you'll get from that experience, the endorphins that you'll get from that experience, the, the health benefits, the mental health benefits that you'll get, are just so far superior than that of using a, a, you know, an opiate or any type of drug that you might be utilizing at that time. And so I think that it is such a good substitute um, to utilize as our, our method of, okay, try this, try this instead, hop on a bike, go out for a ride, ride with some friends and do it again the next day and the next day and just see how you feel. Like, Give it some time, do it for a week and see how you feel. And I, I'm pretty confident that people are going to see a difference. And that's what we're, that's another area that we're trying to do with our foundation is we're really trying to research that data of incorporating the bike with someone who is in recovery. And so, um, we're really excited about that. We're working with, uh, some of the top addiction doctors at the university of Utah, uh, we are going to have essentially a ten, group of 10 individuals. We're going to follow them for six weeks. And, you know, we're going to be capturing data via like wearable technology, like on the watch. So we'll look at like sleep data. We'll look at anxiety levels. We'll look at var heart rate variability. Um, basically, all the good stuff that data collection likes to look at, we're going to follow that stuff and we're going to give them structured training plans. We're going to give them these group rides and then we're going to be taking them to these events uh, to participate if they want to. We, we're going to provide that experience as well where we're going to take them to these gravel events. So um, we're really excited about that too. Gravel, I think I've heard of that. Is that, is that a sub-discipline of bike racing? <laughs> You know, 
I think it is. <laughs> I think it's the discipline of the Grasshopper Adventure Series. Yeah. <laughs> I hear it's all. I hear it's all the rave. That's good stuff, and it's great to hear you hear you coming up with the data because I just think, God, how do you, you know, we measure something like that? You want you? I mean, we, intuitive, we can say that's yeah, going to work, but to have the the medical science backup backing that up and the consistency, and along with that. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not up to this, and I know the current administration has a little different perspective on, on this than the former, but what type of uh, resources are, have increased with the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, with the care providing for this? Uh, I think I was reading somewhere, it, it's like over $75 billion a year. Let me see if I can look at that number correctly. In the impact on our economy by people not working, by the healthcare system, so that $78 billion, that's just massive addiction treatment, lost productivity. So it, it's something that that is profound and, and it's affecting the marginalized groups like many of these things as much. So uh, those who disenfranchise, who are more affected by uh, unemployment and by COVID and by different situations. So it's like it's not separate from the other things. I guess the question was back like, is there money? Is it being directed towards this into those hospitals and your organization? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, what we're going to see is that there's going to be a lot more money for these types of programs. Um, and I think that it's such a big problem, but I think the way that you chip away at a problem like this is you start small, you start in your own community. And so that's what, you know, we're trying to do here in Utah is we're trying to start small and prove that this works. Because if you can prove that this works with the data, we can start growing it out and we can start giving the model to this next town or this next state and saying, Hey, here, here's our model. This works and, and run with it. And so, We've noticed that there, there's money out there for these types of programs, and it's these types of small community programs that I think are going to be the answer. Um, we are confident in our program, but I'm excited to see what other type of stuff pops up. I know that there's, there's so many different ways to approach this problem, and we're hoping that our cycling program is, is just one of them and that there's tons of others that – that people have options for. If maybe you aren't comfortable with the bike, you could try out, you know, I've, there's one locally here about CrossFit or there's all these different types of avenues people can be a part of. But what I'm hoping to see is that there's a lot of money for these types of programs because the biggest hurdle we have is we have all these great ideas, but the funding is our, our biggest, uh, holding us back. And so, um, you know, we're, we're trying to go after those grants. We're, we're actively looking into those. Um, the, the Utah Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse has a great grant that they're making available for exercise-based programs to help with people struggling with substance abuse. Um, so we're going after that grant. Like there's, there's a lot of different things. If you look into your community, you know, your local state level, your, federal level. Um, there's all types of money out there. And I think we're seeing even more now with, with those, that current data that you were just talking about that, you know, with the overdose death rate and being so high now, uh, since COVID and then just the economic burden that it places on communities. I think, you know, you just, 
I always think like, if you just help one person, that's cool. Like in my mind, I look at it like, okay, one person, one person gets better. They're never going to like, we can help them not use and find the bike, find love, passion, connection. That that's a win. And you just one at a time, just keep. And and then there's the systemic things because it's, you know, all you can do as yourself as a nurse, as a practitioner, a foundation for focus on one person in a small group. But then there's the systemic things when ultimately the people are most susceptible and the issue is it's poverty, it's unemployment, it's marginalization. So you have these, it's, it's uh, the stigma of mental health. So you have these things that leads to this despondency that maybe makes one more at risk to that. And then the biological thing, well, that's a little bit of a roulette wheel. Um, it's great to see all the work for me being a high school teacher, started a mountain bike team for a long time, my friends running now, seeing the thousands of kids involved in things, giving them meaning, my son playing soccer, team sports. Like for me, starting with, with kids when they're young and having giving them connection, giving them meaning, giving them uh, an exercise, whatever it is, you know, the, the bikes are great, is, is one of my favorites, obviously, but like, that's so important. And when things aren't funded at that level, it's like you just you're dealing people a, a, a bad hand, you know, and then you take the, the potency of these drugs, the availability of them. Uh, it's it, it's a tough one. And it does take, all, you know, more than the village. It takes multiple villages coming together. Um, so I, I, I will put this link in my podcast, but I'm curious, uh, you know, how should people get involved, find out more with you. And then it, it, do you recommend them getting information locally, whether it's their, they want to help out or if they're concerned for themselves, like what's the, what's the way for people to become informed and, and active about this? Yeah. So if they want to get any information from us, you can visit our website at opcure.org. And uh, yeah, we, we have all of our information on our website in terms of how you could give how you could donate, how you could be a part of the programs, um, as well as information on kind of what it is we're, we're trying to do. Um, and then as far as say you're listening and you're in your own state and maybe you're not in Utah, I think just uh, logging on to the CDC and then they've got a wealth of information and resources to connect with your local uh, recovery centers and getting you lined up with resources Um who you can call and talk to to get help. Uh, I think that the the biggest thing is just go to, you know, the CDC website's great. It has everything. It's like if you need any kind of help finding a spot that you need to go get help, you can find a spot through there. Um, but, yeah, I think visit our website. Um, and then you can always follow along our adventures on our, our Instagram. And, uh Hopefully we, we just, you know, inspire people on the way to, to join forces with us. That's great stuff. And I want to connect this to, obviously, you guys are cyclists and, and we're talking about your foundation. And, and one of the things for me with the podcast, Fuerza Inside, the mind of the ridden athlete, the, the mind can be, can be a lonely place and it can be our best asset and it can also be the, the biggest demon for us. And um, you mentioned... You know, if you're riding on a regular basis, like that one day throws you off. Um, and I can relate to that. <laughs> I've been riding once a week for the last two months. So it changes. But certainly when I'm riding a lot, the same thing. Uh, where do you think 
professional cyclists fall in this spectrum? Are, are, because it's not a normal sport. The level, by that I mean the amount of time that's taken, the, the, the commitment and the amount of, I'd say the, the enjoying of pain, right? <laughs> so if we look at like the way you look at if there's peripheral and central pain, peripheral is like the actual damage, and then there's the central pain. Like for me, from all my years of mountain biking, if I'm doing things and working out, it's like, I'm bleeding. It's fine. Like, it's fine. <laughs> like, yeah, that's blood and that's going to happen. But I could just look at that, right? Uh, I'm more sensitive to like emotional pain for my family. Uh, so for cyclists, what is it that the space that, that one needs to go to? I talk about not want to, like this place of like, and without that, you know, we see some cyclists outside of the sport really struggle. And I wouldn't say necessarily it's it's an opioid addiction, but like, what are your minds of, of like uh, extreme extreme cyclists? Where where when the brain chemistry of that? I I yeah I I for me personally, um, the the allure of the like of accomplishing something that just seems so far beyond what you can actually realize. That to me has always been kind of a central core motivator for myself. Um, and that's always been kind of how I've kind of looked at life, I think, in general. Because, I, I mean, we, Colin and I, we both started playing, you know, soccer, baseball. Then we were in water polo in high school and swimming. And um, we were, yeah, like always having that motivation, um, me personally, to like see how far I could – push myself amongst the world's world's best athletes, world's best riders, whatever sport it was. Um, and so that's always kind of been for me that like allure, that, that far off goal, that far off distance, it keeps me motivated. But to your credit, when I, for example, I'm in like in the off season, which I'm currently in. So now I'm working, I'm not really riding much. I'm kind of just, I'm like, literally I wake up, I ride, like ride down the street, I work all day. And this is hilarious because everybody works and <laughs> they're probably rolling their eyes, but like, it's just, I don't know. It's like, you kind of get in like a little bit of a like blue mood. Cause you're just like, God, it's like, I, I don't have any like direction at the moment. Um, and so, yeah, I think it helps me personally with having some sense of, you know, direction. And like, I've always said, whenever I'm on my bike, it's, it's when I'm the most comfortable. It's when I'm the most confident. It's when I feel like I'm me. And so like, yeah, I think it just, that's kind of the extreme cyclist, the extreme part of biking. Um, you can, you know, you can take it that far or you can take it as, as like going to get groceries. But I think that it's kind of a, depends on the personality. And I think maybe all, uh, all three of us, we have that personality that we like, that that grind that suffering because it does feel good to accomplish something like when we finished your race it was miserable but when we finished it you're just you're you're euphoric you feel so fantastic even though you're you're colder than shit and like you feel terrible but it's so it's such an, a, a journey and and it's it's like the journey of life you know it's, it's this constant up and ups and downs and so um that's that's for me like i don't know it's something it's something special and you can't even really describe it and it's like but you keep coming back for more and for more and for more and so 
it's uh yeah i mean we i i luckily went to school at fort lewis college and i didn't we really like very like little colin and i we we kind of like dipped our toes into cycling because with like the the lance armstrong era that the cycling was the big thing the tour de france that was really like the reason we wanted to get into it and then we were doing other sports he was doing water polo we were both doing water polo or soccer and so we had committed so much to those that we wanted to finish those out and see those through and then i was looking on google because i did do a little biking and like i enjoyed it so i was googling up like what universities had a cycling program and fort lewis was the first one that popped up so I was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. And uh, and like my dad and I, we did a college tour and it was the last school we saw. And I, I didn't really want to go to school for cycling. That wasn't my, my main reason. Obviously, it was for the education, <laughs> but it was also I wanted to ski. We grew up skiing, but we never lived by the mountains. And so that was the reason I wanted to go to Durango, to Fort Lewis College. And then I was like, well, they also have a cycling program. That's kind of cool. And then it was like, it just opened the door to like, we'd been talking about that community, that connection. Um, and that's why I, I credit everything to like all of the cycling that I'm at right now. I credit to that, that decision to go to school at Fort Lewis and to, and to try the cycling program. Um, but it just like, it's, I don't know. It just seems like it's a lifelong, you know, thing that I've hooked onto. And I don't know how, what are you, what is your answer, Cole? Colin, do you see a connection between, you know, the, the endorphins of exercise and then that what's given artificially? I mean, can you recognize yourself in that at all? Like, yeah, I, I mean, so for me, the way that I kind of like, I have a very addictive personality. Um, I latch on to things. And so when I, you know, I, I never really partied or did anything in high school. I just did sports and I, I went off to school and it was like freedom. And all of a sudden, all of these new things where it was like going to parties and drinking. And, and I quickly found that I was very, like very quickly, you know, saw that, Oh, I like going to parties. I like drinking. And, and very quickly that kind of spiraled out of control for me. And as Griff probably remembers, it was just like, I was just like, you know, not really doing, you know, I wasn't doing good in school, wasn't really doing any more sports. And so, you know, eventually what happened with me, I was going up to school at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and, uh, was it, you know, doing bad in my classes, wasn't getting good grades. I was partying and, and, eventually, you know, ended up failing out of school. And I was, you know, my dad had to come out. He's like, Hey, you got to come home, you know? And, and my buddy, Jess Gilkey, he, I remember him, one of the parties, he was like, you know, you're going to, if you don't turn it around, like you're going to get kicked out of school and you're going to have to move home and you'll probably have to work as a janitor. And I was like, yeah, all right, whatever, dude. And so I moved home and my dad's like, all right, you got to find a job. And so I'm looking, looking, and sure enough, job opening for a janitor, a night shift janitor. I'm like, God, you got to be kidding me. I was like, whatever, I'll apply, like, you know, kind of thing. Well, like, I got it. And so <laughs> I was working as a night shift janitor. And then it was just like, it was just bad. Like, I, I just didn't have anything in my life. And then that was kind of when Griff was like, dude, 
what are you doing? Like, get back on the bike. Like, let's go ride. You're fast on the bike. Like, let's try this out again. And so I, you know, started riding again. What then all of a sudden it was like doors just started opening up. It was like, I didn't want to drink anymore. I started going to school to become an EMT. Uh, you know, my mom, she was telling me, she's like, Hey, I think you'd be really good at becoming an EMT. Cause our dad's a doctor. She's a nurse. And she's like, I think it's in your blood. And I was like, okay. So I tried that out, loved it and realized like I was really good at it. And it was the first time I realized I was good at something. And I was like, this is awesome. I love taking care of people. I love the adrenaline of, you know, ambulance, ER and all that. And so then, but the entire time it was like the bike has been there with me through all these different events in my life. Um, it got me through nursing school and, and it like, I ride my bike every day to work up at the ER. That's my favorite time is when I leave for work and I come home from work on the bike. And I, I ride, I rode every day through the winter here, even when it was like 12 inches of snow one day, I was blazing through with my road bike and it, and it's like, I don't know why I think it's like Griff said, there's no way to really like say why, what it is that makes you want to do it. But like, I am hooked to the, but like that is when I'm most happy. I like look forward to going to work, which now, I don't know if many people say often, <laughs> because I know I can literally charge up the hill. I'm like drenched in sweat by the time I get there. Cause I like listen to music and attack on the way up the hill. And then I get to go home. And if it was a stressful day at work, I just, oof, I'd like bomb the hill. And, and so I don't know. I think that the bike has like, it saved me. I, I don't think I was going down a good road, the road I was going down. And, and so that's why like, for me, when I was on the detox unit, I was able to kind of connect with a lot of these people. Cause I was like, yo, like I, I know what it's like to, to feel like you're separate from everybody and you're, and it's like this weird form of happiness where you're going out and partying with people, but it's not real. And then, you know, but the bike is awesome. It's these real groups of people that you can connect with and go to these races and challenge yourself. And it's like, I don't know. I, I love it. I think and, that, and it's, that feeling, that feeling of, the nerves and that, that feeling of anxiety before you go and you start a race, like we've Colin and I have always said, like, that's a very, uh, like unique feeling to get as you get older. Cause it's like, you know, you did maybe when you were playing sports, if you played sports when you were younger, you'd, you'd have that feeling, but that is such a, like, you should, like we were saying, like, you got to cherish that moment, even though like maybe you're super nervous but that feeling of anxiety of the unknown of not knowing how things are going to go like that for us is also like, I've always thought is such a cool part of getting on the bike that you can get into if that's the, the route yeah. you want to get into. Like, yeah. yeah. And it's not just, and it's just not, not just racing. I've described to people so similar to yourself. So for me, the, the transition into cycling, I grew up, you know, I was a really good high school athlete, basketball and soccer and baseball and, and, was a pitcher and like the center defender and I was a point guard. So for me, when I got into mountain biking and then competing, it was like, and now just riding my mountain bike, it's like the last two minutes in a, in a basketball game. It's like the last ending pitching. It's like 
batting with an even score. It's like that, that focus. And for me, it's mostly on a mountain bike, you know, so an endurance sort of. So when I, for me in my own twisted way, came up with the hoppers, like I wanted all the events to feel like that on a mountain bike. And you don't always feel like that on long endurance rides. So I was like, okay, how can we mix all this weird stuff up? Because for me, that's still like my happy place. I ride alone a lot. And I'll look for, I'll mix up rides in a certain way where it needs to be like, I need to switch the pattern every time I'll do a, 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 do it in an order or I'll do a trail up that's normally down just to like keep those circuits firing fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got the pleasure of, you know, the, of the like six or eight years I coached the mountain bike team. We were in Forestville and there's this road called Covey, which is known for being so steep. And you have a whole variety of kids in high school. Really, it's managing the beginners more. Everyone wants to teach the, the or coach the fast ones, but some of the kids would finally get up that hill at the end of the day and they'd lay on their grass, just passed out, sweating. <laughs> and I, I remember a couple of times seeing the smile on their grin, their eyes rolled back. Right. And I'm like, you earned that. I was like, you were really high. You earned that. Like, <laughs> like that feeling, like, remember that, like, that's real. It's going to pass, but it's like, it, it's authentic. And so I see kids doing that in music. I see kids doing that in theater and kids doing it in art, but that experience of being connected is just so, so, so valuable. Um, not to always tie this into the grasshoppers, but I joke about this a little bit um, with a friend of mine who runs a foundation, Jeremiah is the B-Rad foundation. He's also a high school teacher does, does great work. He uh, has a class through the outride. So he's getting kids out riding bikes is one of his classes and he just says it's the best part of his day uh, works with a really challenging student population but like you know the hoppers have been like it's been such a, a intricate part of my life but like my quote is because so many of foundations are for at-risk youth and i absolutely support that in 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 every way possible but i i often said that we i i'm supporting the at-risk adults you know, bringing the stoke to that risk adults, because that doesn't really go away. Colin, now that feeling of being like first year in college or like someone else in high school, you know, friends are managing difficult jobs and with their families and at our age and our parents are not doing well and our kids are teenagers, like that consistency and that community and finding, sticking with something that we found that fulfills us is, is, is really important. And, uh, having seen all these people over all these years, uh, I still really believe in it. Like right, I'll start to doubt it right now because I'm in the midst of all my permits and all the stressful stuff. And after the first event, and I'll see the smiles at the end of the day. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's worth it. And then hope. Then I hope people that if it's yourself working on the foundation, or it's somebody who's working in hospice, or someone's working in construction, whatever it is, that it's all connected to like us being our higher selves. And then another thing to Griffin's point too: if you live your life with this passion, then whatever it is, you can give that much more to that right and i think um what you've done with the foundation is fantastic i can't wait to see it grow um you know and and to help i hope people are inspired by that thank you yeah Yeah, well yeah really appreciate that that that's like what we're so excited about is to see you know that that smile and then it's it's like immediately everything is it's worth it's been worth it you know and it's like you realize that you actually are helping people and it's it's so uh it's such a fulfilling you know endeavor that we're we're undertaking so
Yeah, and hats off to you. And it's essential as an athlete. That I struggled with that when I was, you know, thought I wanted to be professional and was teaching part time to just do that and like sitting in a hotel with a bunch of guys after a race. I'm like, this isn't fun. (laughs) I don't want to. I mean, teaching. I want to teach and I want to race my bike. If I can't be as good of a bike racer, then well, that's that's just it. And And I know for other people, they're able to be pro and just do that. But it's like, you know finding something that's bigger than just being a professional athlete and to be a top professional athlete, you have to just do that. Yep. I mean, you can't even like what Pete's doing as his own, uh, agent. I mean, you can't be your own agent and at the top level, you know, you can't, whether it's soccer or basketball. And, uh, so obviously we're talking about bikes and we're talking about helping people out. And, uh, one way is helping out ourselves and keeping us happy and stoked and I understand that uh, you guys are looking forward to 2023 and a, and a full a race season of sorts. So tell us what's uh, on the calendar. Uh, yeah. So for, for next season, um, and it, it all kind of, I mean, we've been working on this project, Hope You Care Foundation, for the past couple of years now. Um, and la- this last year, I finally got the chance to go over to Europe, uh, specifically Odenard, Belgium. And I had the chance to find because I had never been over to Europe to race, and that had always been a goal of mine. So I uh, was I, this year I was riding for a continental level team called Start Cycling Team, and they're ba- they're uh, they're based at the art. The director is an Argentinian, and he's his whole project is about giving opportunities to the Latin American countries, uh, kind of excluding Colombia. Colombia has a huge wealth of uh, opportunities. But all the other countries kind of get overlooked. And so I had talked with him in the past a few times about joining his team because I knew he was based in, in Belgium. And I knew some guys through the U.S. squad uh, teams that had raced for him. Uh, but the stars didn't align. However, this past year, 2021, they did. Um, so going into 2021, I was working at the hospital with Colin. Um, and I, I like you know, quit my job January 1st and I drove down, I like sold everything I kind of had and I got it to pretty much just be in my car and I drove down to Tucson and then I stayed down in Tucson and I, and I did a, a winter, a good winter block of riding. Um, and then I went to Belgium. Uh, I got to Belgium with high hopes because all I've ever heard is the racing is there's so much racing. You're just going to be destroyed, you know, like, there's too much racing. And so I get there and it was the complete flip because COVID happened. And so I knew going into it, there was a high chance that, you know, things probably weren't going to be like they normally are. But I also was seeing races on TV happening again. So I was thinking optimistically that maybe this will still be a great chance for me to get European racing. And so I was there under a normal tourist visa, which is a three month uh, stay. And so within those three months that I was over there, I had raced three races. And so I did two races in Denmark, uh, which were some of the hardest races I've ever done in my life. It was like these super narrow roads um, and just the speed and the fight and the, just the carnage that was happening around you is, was just next, the, the next level that, that I had wanted to get to. And it was just like a huge eye opener into how tough the racing is over there um, in the Belgian in the flat like lands like Denmark and in that area. And so I did that. And that was actually like a gravel race. Like it had sectors of gravel. 
and it was just like war. It felt like war. Like there was these cra- crazy crashes of like bikes were flying like 10, 15 feet over my head. Nobody was batting an eye. And I was just looking around like, Jesus, what's going on? <laughs> and, uh, and, and Chris Horner has been coaching me cause he's part of, he's helping us on the foundation side. Cause we were teammates with him on air gas Safeway. And I called him up and I was like, yeah, like, is it like this crazy? Like, is this normal? And he's like, <laughs> welcome to the big leagues. <laughs> like, <"Yep." laughs> so I was like, Oh geez. All right. So, uh, so I was like, all right, well, I didn't do well. And either there was two races up there. I DNF both of them. I got like, they were like 220 kilometers. I got to like 180 and I was just blown because I was getting that accordion effect because it's so narrow. If you're not at the front, you're just, you're getting spit out the back. And I had gotten caught up in a big crash at the beginning. And I thought like, and I was doing well, I was like battling and doing well. And then I got caught in this huge crash. I was like, well, maybe it's not as bad if I go back a little bit further and that was a huge mistake. I should never have done that. <laughs> so I was just chasing the whole rest of the day and the same thing the next day. And and then after that, it was like no races whatsoever. There wasn't even the opportunity to do the Kermises. Um, the the number of teams was still the like was still the same, but the number of events was much less. And so they were first giving the race entries to the World Tour rider, World Tour teams, the Pro Conti teams, then the the national Belgian continental teams. And then we were like just such a, a far off group that we were just getting the flick over and over and over. We did another race in um, Brussels at the very end. And it was this, it started off like looking pretty stormy. And right before the gun went off, it was just the, the heavens opened up and it was just the, the heaviest, strongest rain I've ever been in, in a race. And, but I was like, I was finding my groove and I was like, I was at the front, I was feeling good. And, and it was like, the wind was gnarly and it was, I've made like the front group though. It was probably about in total, like 20, like 30, 40 of us at the front group. Um, and the craziest part was eventually the commissaries like stopped the race, which you always think like, Oh, it's Belgium. It's gotta be like, there's no way they would cancel a race for, for weather and they cancel the race. So it was like all the, the, the stars aligned for me to not get the, the pure, you know, true European race experience. So I was definitely like bummed out cause I committed so much and I'm, t- I'm 30 now. And so I was like, man, this, this is probably going to be probably my, one of my last chances to get over here and try it. And so I was on the phone with Colin and then you're just training in Belgium and you're, you're just, it's wet, it's cold, it's gray. And, and it's one thing to train. It's an, it's one thing to race. It's a whole other thing to just ride in the rain in Belgium. And so I was on the phone towards the end with Cullen and I was like, yo, like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, well, you should start hitting up maybe some of the gravel races and, and reaching out to the organizers. And so that was actually when I first talked with you, Miguel, and connected with you. And I started to try to put together a little, season to kind of salvage the year and so i i got into a number of different gravel events um and it was like i did well at the first one i did like i podium that this the the wasatch all road here just outside of heber city um jeff louder puts that on then i did the rebecca's private idaho and i i did pretty well there i i beat peter stedden and colin strickland i i won like the baked potato day and I didn't realize it was a stage race. I thought people just did the last one. 
So I kind of got like sh- overshadowed and nobody really talked about it. <laughs> and then, um, and then I did the BWR Cedar city and I kind of dueled it out, duked it out with Peter, um, and finished second. I got a, a flat tire in this last little technical section. Um, and then I was hoping to get out to USAL and I, I was also not having enough money and funds were getting low. So I was like, I got to try to get a job again. And so I was able to kind of fork together a little bit of, of a season. And then it was like crazy. Cause all of a sudden all these people we'd been kind of trying to reach out to the doors just started opening. Um, and I, you know, had, had gone out to sea otter and, and so we, like where we are now is we're like this next year we're focused on doing um a full gravel squad series or gravel you know team squad with op cure foundation um so i'll be the main rider um hitting you know the bigger the bigger races throughout the season so i'm going to try to do all the the bwr series um some of the the lifetime series if i can um, hopefully the grasshopper adventure series, I can, I can pepper those in as well. Um, and then what we're, what we're trying to do is we'll have Cullen and his fiance, Sydney, they'll also be part of the team. Um, and when they can get to races, they'll be at the races, but we're wanting to use those races as opportunities to just kind of bring awareness to OB Cure Foundation and act as the kind of like the light that we're trying to bring to the opioid crisis and, and what we as a foundation are trying to do. And so when COVID came in, it's, it halted those community rides we were doing. Uh, and it also it allowed us time to, to reassess what we could do realistically. And our biggest problem was the funding. And so what we were thinking is, well, we can go to these races and we can try to grow who we are as a foundation. And so that's our main goal is going into this next year. And so um, it's, it's pretty exciting too, because we're, we're partnering up with uh, BWR uh, series. Um, and what we want to do is Opicure foundation is, is choose either one or two riders that are dealing with uh, opioid, you know, uh, addiction and provide them with training with, uh, all of the resources that they would, they could need and bring them to these, these events and, and let them choose which events they want to go to. But we kind of want to showcase their story, tell their story and ultimately just get them onto a bike. Um, And that would be kind of through an application process uh, to see, you know, who would, who might be interested. And obviously you want to get everybody that's struggling onto bikes, but we also know realistically we have to start something that's more manageable with just it being Colin, myself and his fiance, Sydney. So we think that this is a really manageable size goal that we can take into 2022. Um, and so that's kind of the goal. Yeah, that's good stuff. And you, you'll find a jewel. I mean, like we were talking about before, it's, it's, it's great people many times who have fallen on hard times that find themselves in situation and, and uh, with great athletic potential and, uh, you know, you, it's, it's good stuff. So we'll be we'll be keeping an eye on you, and uh, we'll be looking for you at the Grasshopper. Awesome. Uh, especially, well, we have a couple of dates we could talk about that, but Huffmaster and uh, and King Ridge, maybe I'll bring some bad weather for you. It's been kind of dry in California. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Yeah, I, I like the sound of that. 
All right. Well, thanks again. And for the listeners, I will make sure to give information for Colin and Griffin to find out the foundation. If you're in the Salt Lake City area, hopefully you can join them and uh, go and do a ride. And I uh, hope to talk to you guys soon. Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Miguel. It was, this was awesome. It's been a pleasure. My, my pleasure. Fuerza. 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 <laughs> Ciao.